David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning. 9.24 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is now May the 1st. May Day. May Day 2019. This is episode 91 of Bitcoin and... And one billion Ripple has been unlocked from escrow at Ripple Escrow Wallet, according to Whale Alert. So be prepared for bag dump. You know it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen. They're going to sell that shit. And it's just, they're just dumping on the bag holders, man. So be careful out there, folks. Um. Let's see here. Coindesk.com. Oh, God. The Tether the tether news. Uh, apparently, Tether is fractional, fractionally reserved. I, I mean, I don't know. All we got here is a Coindesk article from Nicholas Day um, and uh, basically saying, Tether lawyer admits stablecoin now 74% backed by cash and equivalents. Now, this was written yesterday, but there's an update from uh, Nicholas uh, as of this morning. It says, later Tuesday, New York Supreme Court Justice Joel Cohen ordered the New York Attorney General's office to demonstrate to the court why the Attorney General's initial ex parte order should not be canceled outright or at least modified to allow Bitfinex and Tether's employees to access a line of credit offered by Tether to Bitfinex. The New York Attorney General must submit a response detailing its reasoning by May 6, 2019. So that'll be ne- uh, into the or into next week. So let's get into this. The USDT stablecoin is only about 74% backed by fiat equivalents as of April 30, says its issuer's general counsel. Tether, the company behind USDT, holds about $2.1 billion in cash and short-term securities, wrote its general counsel, Stuart Hogner, in an affidavit Tuesday. Hogner is also general counsel to Bitfinex, a crypto exchange which shares executives and has overlapping owners with Tether. The two companies are at the heart of allegations by New York Attorney General, who says Bitfinex borrowed more than $600 million from Tether after losing as much as $850 million to a currency converter. Hogner filed the affidavit to support an order to show to vacate or modify the New York Attorney General's ex parte order filed last week and to stay the order, which would compel Bitfinex and Tether to produce certain documents by May 3rd. Indeed, after a subheading labeled Tether holders are not at risk, Hogner confirmed that USDT is no longer backed 100% by cash or liquid assets, saying, quote, as of the date, April 30, I am signing this affidavit. Tether has cash and cash equivalents, short-term securities on hand totaling approximately $2.1 billion, representing approximately 74% of the current outstanding Tethers, 
end quote. According to Omni Explorer, a block explorer for Tether, there are approximately 2.8 billion USDT tokens issued as of press time. Another attorney representing Tether, Zoe Phillips, of law firm Morgan Lewis, wrote in, the mem- in a memorandum of law in support of the defendant's order to show cause that Tether does not need to hold $1 for every USDT issue. She writes, quote, according to the attorney general, the line of credit needed to be frozen because it improperly impairs the reserves Tether would use for redemptions. The attorney general appears to believe that Tether must hold $1 in cash fiat currency for every dollar of Tether. These allegations are wrong on multiple levels. Woo. It's kind of hard to chew on this one, man. Uh, The terms of Tether and Bitfinex credit agreement were negotiated on an arm's length basis on commercially reasonable terms. She added saying that each of the companies was represented by independent counsel. However, as Bitfinex critic Bitfinex noted on Twitter, the same individual, Giancarlo DeVisani, signed both Tether and Bitfinex's agreements. Hogner echoed Phillips' claim that the agreements were negotiated independently, while also adding that Tether has noted on its website that its stablecoin is no longer 100% backed, citing media reports when the platform changed its stance. Hogner wrote in his affidavit that the Bitfinex and Tether lending agreements were made, quote, for the protection of the virtual currency market, end quote, perhaps underscoring concerns that the two companies compose a significant part of the crypto market infrastructure. Quote, Tether and holders of Tether have a keen interest in ensuring that one of the dominant trading platforms of Tethers has sufficient liquidity for normal operations, end quote, addressing what possible benefits exist from the deal. He added that any disruption to Bitfinex's operation could risk harming Tether as well. Between December 2018 and April 29, 2019, an average of $566,066 in USDT has been redeemed. Phillips added, with the largest redemption in that period checking in at $24.2 million, Hogner did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Uh, You know, yikes. And I don't, you know, I've said it before, because I don't trade, Um, I, and I don't because it's, that's something when you get into trading, that's something that's got to be a full-time job because the markets never close you. And I mean, you really got to know what you're doing to survive in, in that kind of environment. And I I get the existence of tether, but I, you know, and, and I know a lot of people are saying that tether is just kind of a, like a big nothing burger here. I don't know, man. I'm reading this. Shit don't look good because all the time it's been like, oh, well, it's backed. It's backed. It's backed. And it's backed by this and it's backed by, you know, by that. And it's a one to one dollar peg. And, you know, this has been going on for years. And then all of a sudden we, you know, find out that it's, well, I mean, I, I, I just I can't escape the facts here unless the facts are completely wrong that Tether is only backed by f- three quarters. Yeah, it, that seems clear. Now, there may be some more nuance in there that I'm not aware of, but I don't know. Which also, this also, you know, I, it's, hard to, it's hard to articulate here. It makes me happy that I don't trade because I don't need to, I don't need to have tethers to go, you know, be switching in and out of various cryptocurrencies because I don't care about any of them except Bitcoin. 
because of that, I just, I, I, I don't feel that Bitcoin itself is in any danger here, but man, there, there is danger out there. I just don't think it's for, for Bitcoin. If you're a shitcoin trader, yeah, watch out, man. That's just, you know, be careful out there, folks. Uh, trading is a really dangerous gig, man. Anyway, so uh, blockcrypto.com, uh, the, now it's the United States Attorney General office who's char- has charged two individuals for providing shadow banking services to crypto exchanges, including Bitfinex. Uh, April 30th, the crypto crackdown continues. The United States Attorney General's office has charged two individuals for offering so-called shadow banking services to unnamed cryptocurrency exchanges, according to an announcement April 30. As per the press release, Ravid Yosef and Reginald Fowler were hit with charges of bank fraud and operating an unlicensed money transmitting business. According to a court document filed in the Southern District of New York, the duo opened up accounts to transfer funds to crypto exchanges under Global Trading Solutions. Readers of the block might recall the name. As the block's Larry Cermak first reported, that firm served as a banking partner with crypto exchange Bitfinex, which was issued a lawsuit recently by the New York Attorney General's Office. Additionally, Global Trading Solutions LLC is also affiliated with Global Trade Solutions AG, which is the parent company of Crypto Capital. Oh, God, just a shit show. The payment processing firm that was entangled in the aforementioned Bitfinex lawsuit. You know, it's just, it's these circles that bend, when you start seeing these circles bend back on each other and, and you see these, these strange loops and they, they seem to all go back. I mean, it just looks like all this is going back to Bitfinex. I don't know, man. Will Bitfinex survive? Maybe. It's anybody. It's anybody's guess, but I got to tell you, man, this does not look good. It just doesn't. It, I, you know, I hope it's just a huge nothing burger, but Bitfinex seems to be at this at this weird nexus of all this nefarious shit. And generally speaking, where there's smoke, there's fire. So again, be careful out there, folks. Just if you can not get into this weird shit coinery where you are like on all these, you know, major exchanges and you're going in and out of tether and you're trading this crap coin for another shit coin and all that. If you can refrain from doing it and just hold Bitcoin, that actually might be better, a better way to go, but this is an investment advice. Um, I stumbled upon something that I thought was pretty cool. And I don't know why I haven't seen these guys before, but this is crypto words at underscore crypto words, all one word. Uh, They have a tweet out there, uh, a series of tweets. um, uh, Two of them are just basically mentions, but the first one is the one where, where it puts in the meat. This is a, this was a long journal. You guys and gals put out some fantastic pieces this month. Some will say it was too long, a 238-minute read. Some will say we missed something. Either way, you were right. This is yours. Read it, share it, just do something. So it's a uh, cryptowords.github.io is a link that they give. And when I go to it, uh, it is a journal of Bitcoin commentary. And it, it 
and they're linking to the the uh, 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 CY. Uh, what was that? Uh, the the April edition. Yeah. So Crypto Words describes itself as a collection of Bitcoin commentary from the brightest minds in the crypto community. And then that, you know, again, this is cryptowords.github.io. And then if uh, there's a little box here, that says read the latest journals here. And, you know, you go to that and you end up with the CY19 Q2 April journal, CY19 Q1 March journal, blah, blah, blah. But these things are huge, man. I mean, it's like, uh, let's see here. This looks like this whole thing started in Q4 of uh, 18. And with the October journal, 179 minute read. Uh, November journal was 98 minute read. December was 155 minute. January of 19 is 324 minutes. February's journal is 83. March journal is 173. And then this one is 238. So when you click into any one of these journals, um, it takes you to uh, basically a set of stories. And I mean, it's like, my God, let's see. Uh, contents in this one is stuff like uh, Bitcoin, an insurance policy against the largest monetary and fiscal policy experiment in human history. Another is managing Bitcoin and private keys. Another one is the case for a small allocation to Bitcoin. And I mean, it's just there's there's a, a, a whole bunch of these things, man. I mean, um, let's get all the way down to the bottom and see where, where we are here. A monetary layer for the Internet. Tweet storms, adoption by number of users. Lightning is the only be- is only the beginning the emerging Bitcoin stack. So if I click on that, it's the it's that really cool piece by Spencer Bogart that he posted on April twenty fifth, and um, where it, it talks about the the layers on top of the the layer of the stack on layers of the stack on top of the Bitcoin protocol. So. It looks like this journal is collecting up some of these really good pieces and central, or, you know, okay, yeah, centralizing it into into a repository so you can go to one place and uh, get all these things. So, like, Bitcoin is a weapon from Hector Rosenkranz was posted on April 11, and it's a story about you know it's a story about his uh, kind of past in the military and the Navy. And sort of, you know, what his job was back then and looking at Bitcoin and kind of making, drawing the comparisons between, you know, modern weaponry and Bitcoin. I mean, this, I got to tell you, man, I'm kind of excited about this journal. And I, as near as I can tell, it's all free, man. It, you know, it's, it's, I'm able to see every single word of every single piece. So if you're interested, go over to, uh, crypto words or at underscore crypto words, all one word, or just go to their, uh, that get <clears throat> that GitHub, which is crypto words dot GitHub dot I O and you'll get to it. Um, it's really neat to see people putting these, uh, putting these things together. Uh, Bitcoin magazine has an article out there. U S citizens can now accept their federal or state tax refund in Bitcoin. This is from Colin Harper. Uh, this was from yesterday. No. Yeah. This is from yesterday. Federal tax season just passed in the United States. But if you're one to leave responsibility to the wayside and had to apply for an extension, that might just pay off. <clears throat> I have to do that every year just because of the way some of the, the stuff in my life is structured. It's not that I'm late. It's that 
I got some other things going on and, and the, the fiscal, the fiscal ends of all these different things do not coincide. So I'm always filing for an extension. Um, it'll give you the opportunity to become one of the inaugural users of a new joint endeavor by crypto payment processor, BitPay and tax services company refundo. <laughs> not a big fan of BitPay, but okay, whatever the new program called Coin RT gives Refundo users the opportunity to take their federal t- federal and state tax income refunds in Bitcoin. Quote, we believe that as more and more people understand the benefits of Bitcoin, they'll gravitate to it with the option to set aside all or part of their refund in a seamless manner. It allows those on the sidelines to jump right in. Refundo CEO Roger Chinchilla told Bitcoin Magazine tax filers using Refundo's system who opt into the program will include a routing and account number linked to BitPay's payouts. <clears throat> Once the refund hits the account, BitPay converts the cash to SATs and sends it to whatever wallet address the user provided upon signup. And I mean, I, I don't know, I, I guess this is, this is all right, but I mean, I can just, I mean, frankly, I can take my refund and I can just buy Bitcoin through the cash app. I had to throw it in my bank and put it in the cash app and just buy all the Satoshis I want. I, I kind of don't need a third party processor to do that, but adoption is adoption. Okay. I'm not going to bitch about it. Adoption is adoption. Let's see here. Uh, the block has Bitcoin on chain volumes hit 10 month high in April. This is from this morning. Bitcoin on chain volumes in April denoted in USD have reached a 10 month high Dire finds. Dire notes <clears throat> that the consistent on-chain volume swell over the last three months followed recent price rallies, meaning that there was little indication Bitcoin was spent in real use cases, and hence the transaction boost was likely largely due to speculative trading. The amount of USD moved on chain in April was over $130 billion US with the transaction volume coming close to that of June, 2018, when the price of Bitcoin averaged $7,000, 35% higher than today. <clears throat> Still, when looking at on chain volume figures by quarter rather than by month, there has been a consistent quarterly decline in on-chain activity for Bitcoin since Q4 of 2017, the heart of the bull run. Q1 of 2019 recorded a 35% decline relative to the last quarter. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, a steady decline in uh, on-chain in on-chain usage, but you know. <coughs> They're also talking about like these uh, these on-chain transactions where they were, you know, a whole bunch of them. There, what's not being said here is, you know, it would it'd be nice to correlate with the usage uh, usage of SegWit uh, transactions, and I would bet that it would show that as as the main chain transactions go down that it's probably due to like better batching. We we knew that some exchanges like coin uh Coinbase or whatever was not batching their transactions. And because of that, you're going to have a shit ton more main chain transactions. So I you know, I think this I just don't think this takes into consideration the uh the gain in usage of of batching segwit all that kind of thing. So I'm not putting a whole lot of weight on this. 
Um, it's nice to see transaction volume come back up, uh, but you know, it is, it is what it is, but then there's the, but then there's people like Barron's who have an article from Seth Potemkin yesterday, how to build a better cryptocurrency than Bitcoin and Ethereum. And it's like almost automatically, Oh my God. I, I just can't believe people are still wasting their time writing this stuff. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of it. <clears throat> In his later years, game theorist and mathematician John Nash became consumed with the concept of a global currency. If such currency could be backed by a precious metal and hold strong universal appeal, it could achieve a stable value. It could also avoid the cartel-like control and manipulation that are hallmarks of government-issued currencies, including the coordinated printing of money, which results in the weakening of the purchase power. Well, I think we can agree on that. Blockchain's emergent. Oh, see, here it is, blockchain, right there. It's almost as if I just want to trash this thing, but I'll get into it. Blockchain's emergence and the advent of digital currencies that rely on decentralized ledgers make, made Nash's theory one step closer to reality. Of course, modern cryptocurrency price dynamics do not enjoy the stability that Nash would have liked to see, in part because of the gauntlet of market manipulators and price fixers that have come to dominate this new digital marketplace. And right, right there, man, it's just... Achieving a currency with both global appeal and stable equilibrium price dynamics requires structure that serves and balances the interest of two distinct groups, the investors who provide the money necessary to build the new currency systems, and second, the users who exchange goods and services using said currency. This second group in particular is benefited by a currency with unambiguous, hard, intrinsic value. What they're talking about is that they want Bitcoin to be stable, do everything that, that can be done out of the box. And since they're not getting that, they think that they can build something that will do that. That's what this, that's what this is. And it's just more fluff. It's just more crap. And it's really not worth our time uh, to to entertain this this kind of garbage anymore. But the Barons you know, Barons.com, I'm just like I think I think they have contributed more than a few Bitcoin obituaries into Bitcoin obituaries dot org. <laughs> my God. And another piece of not so intelligent writing here. Um <clears throat> This is uh, thecryptoreport.com, no cash for sale in world's first Bitcoin city, which is not a Bitcoin city. The UK's Sun newspaper is touting the world's first Bitcoin city today where all cash is banned. Backers of the venture hope that Malacca, a straight city in Malaysia, will attract 3 million crypto tourists per year. <coughs> Visitors will be able to exchange their normal money for digital currency when they arrive proclaims the sun or just use the digital currency they already own. You might suggest, but you'd be wrong. Melica isn't so much a Bitcoin city as a crypto city and a one horse crypto city at that. The digital currency you will be forced to change your normal money into is the DMI coin. So it's a shit coin. Through Android, iOS, and PC apps, tourists will be able will uh, will use these to pay for public services with their phones and computers. DMI is a company that provides mobile enterprise business intelligence and cybersecurity services. It collaborated on this project to develop the DMI platform and coin. The Chinese government-backed development will convert 
835 acres, the Malaysian state of Malacca, into the tourist blockchain destina- destination of the future, as well as the 3 million annual tourists it hopes to attract. Malacca will host businesses and education services. It is not the only project of this type currently in development, either as a new city or the implementation of a crypto economy in and in an existing city. Amongst others, these include so-called libertarian city, Liberstad in southern Norway, although the changes aren't always for tourism reasons. While a true crypto city could do wonders to demonstrate the Bitcoin economy working at a holistic level, this does not seem to be it. It is hard to see how this is any different to exchange your cash for Disney dollars to spend while in the resort. It also seems interesting that the Chinese government is backing this venture and they've been coming across as ever so slightly anti-crypto. Perhaps it's just a case of not in their own backyard. Uh, You know, it's just... That, I mean, I don't know. The author, the author's got it right. And there's, there's no, there is no way to get around the fact that this is exactly changing whatever currency you have into Disney dollars and using those things inside the park. Uh, I, you know, I don't think it's terrible for, you know, for Bitcoin, um, you know, again, adoption is adoption and adoption, no matter how we get it is, is good for Bitcoin, but stuff like this is, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to end up being developed. 835 acres is a lot of space. And I just, I mean, it just, it just sounds to me like they're just building an amusement park. You know, the, the, the analogy to Disney, I think is spot on here, man. It's just, going to be Disney World for Malaysia. Anyway, uh, what else is up here? Grayscale. Grayscale has dropped a TV ad. This is apparently going to go out everywhere. Uh, It says, Grayscale's tweet is, it's finally here. Find out why today is the day to hashtag drop gold. I've seen the commercial, professionally produced, well executed, um, Cinema. I mean, it's it's everything you'd expect from from a mainstream uh, television commercial as far as production value, and basically it shows a whole bunch of people wheeling around gold bars or carrying them in heavy chain bags. That that was actually my favorite. This dude standing outside of a building, and he's got all these. He's got two. Both his hands are holding these bags made out of like heavy chain, and inside are like these gold bars. And so the whole theme is how heavy and really immobile gold is because it is, it is, you know, immobile. Although that said, as an aside, I did see an interesting innovation in gold that may be the first innovation in gold in 5,000 years. Can't remember the name of the company, but it's a wafer of gold about the size. Actually, I think it's the exact same size as a credit card and it's 50 grams of gold and it's stamped in a way that you can break off each little piece into little one gram tabs. So there's 50 tabs. It actually looks like a sheet of acid. I, I hate to say it that way, but it looks like a sheet of gold acid. And you break off a tab, and that tab is, I think at the time I saw the commercial for it, uh, the price of gold. So one gram would have been like 50 bucks US. So you give this, you know, the gram of gold to somebody and, Supposedly, they take it for goods and services, but, <clears throat> you know, go to a, go to Taco Bell 
with that and and see if they'll they'll take it and they won't and they don't take Bitcoin either. But yeah, you know, Barry Silbert's company, Grayscale Investment or Grayscale Grayscale. I guess it's, it's Grayscale or Grayscale Investment. I hate, I hate getting that wrong. Just Grayscale. <clears throat> Or uh, yeah, nope, it is Grayscale Investments. Okay, yeah. So um, anyway, that the commercial is is well done, and apparently this thing is going to be all over the place, according to Barry Silbert. So be on the lookout for Grayscale Investments' uh, new commercial, which is dropping today. Uh, do, 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 do. Oh, oh, Justin Moon, Justin Moon. Uh, this guy is so cool. It's underscore Justin Moon underscore. And he writes, and this was yesterday, another Biddle, Biddle boot camp starts today. After this cohort, all have trained over 100 Bitcoin developers. So just between Justin Moon and Jimmy Song, Bitcoin developers and actual Bitcoin developers are being generated at a furious pace which again is one of the fundamental, if I'm doing fundamental analysis, because I, you know, I'm not a trader, so I don't do technical analysis, but whenever I'm talking to somebody about why Bitcoin, I, I point to stuff like this, like, you know, like the, well, the whole industry, like, you know, well, I, the, the argument will be, why do I want to use toy money? And my, and my counter argument is, why do you think, and then I list off pretty much like how many companies there are, how many people are devoting how many years of their time. And when I get down to the end of the list, they're just kind of looking at me going, oh, shit. I'm like, yeah, right, oh, shit. It's not a toy. It's a, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, and that does not include the market cap of Bitcoin itself. This includes the market capitalization of the, what, near 1,000 companies around the world and the developer pay that that you know a lot of these people are getting, and when you got people like Jimmy Song and Justin Moon cranking out Bitcoin developers every damn day, I can't see that as anything but bullish. Nobody spends as much time as, or they don't. Nobody spends this much time on something that is a mere toy. So either the rest of the world is right, and we're all stupid and wasting our time. Or vice versa. And I'm going for vice versa. And <clears throat> I'm going to leave that as the morning roundup. But I, I, I want to get into um, safe, uh, a Saifedean Amos' tweet about sheep. But I'm going to do that in a different segment. Okay, Saifedean Amis has a um, a reaction tweet to idiocy, and and he's actually on the on the correct path here. So at Saifedean, <coughs> that's at S A I F E D E A N, and he also wrote the Bitcoin Standard. But you know, like a lot of people in Bitcoin, for some reason we we're becoming more and more fascinated with huge tracts of land you know, and, and meat and like livestock and ecology. I, I, it's a little, it's not, it's not weird. I think it's, I think it's good, but it is kind of surprising. 
In, in either event, Safe writes this, lefties are so stupid, they actually believe that sheep, living creatures that have been around for eons, have started destroying our climate by merely continuing to exist. These megalomaniacs will believe anything whatsoever as long as it necessitates them controlling you. Now, he's reacting, or he's, re, he's re saying that in a retweet, <clears throat> and he's retweeting George Monbiot, and I don't know who this dude is, but he says, we need to talk about livestock and climate breakdown. The government's committee on climate change says that whales can't decarbonize as far or as fast as the rest of the UK because it has so many sheep. Oh my God. Okay. So this is leads, uh, safe to, uh, uh, to uh, continue a sweet thread by saying there are a lot of stupid things that your favorite media outlets wants you to believe are what the science says in quotations. Possibly the stupidest of them all is the notion that ruminant animals are somehow destroying the climate. <clears throat> and he links to a Ted talk from one of my favorite people in the permaculture space. And he's not really in the permaculture space, he exists sort of on the edge, but Alan Savory um, is mentioned by many permaculturists as a not only a guru or ecological guru, <clears throat> but one of the driving factors of how we can, you know, okay, look, I'm going to say it, how we can turn the climate around. Now, don't go thinking that I think we're all going to die in 12 years. That's bullshit. The climate's always changed. We're on our seventh or either fifth or seventh completely different atmosphere on this planet since it cooled down and started off gassing. There was a time when this planet had no water. Okay, there was a time when this planet had uh, had a climate that would kill a human, like a modern human, within seconds. The, the, the climate continues to change because this is the universe is, is a dynamic engine. And only truly, <clears throat> truly ignorant people believe that you can statically or you that you can bring some kind of, of system this large into some kind of status. That, that's just pure and dangerous ignorance. That's never going to happen. But there is like, you know, there is. Clearly, there's more CO2 in the atmosphere now as, as there was. Do I think it's going to kill us all? No, no, I don't. However, the neat thing about carbon is, is that it kind of, it, it does wonders for the soil. I've talked about that before, especially when I did that week on, uh, on biochar. <clears throat> but I wanted to talk about this, you know, a little bit about what Alan Savory is saying in this TED Talk and uh, kind of, you know, pardon the pun, ruminate on it a little bit. But what there's a couple of things that I learned about Alan Savory that I did not know. And as much as he is touted as a champion in permaculture circles, um, I found out something about uh, Alan that shocked me right down to the core. And Alan, just for background, is basically he's a, he lives in Africa. He was I'm pretty sure he was born in South Africa. And he's basically does all his work in Africa and essentially what he's trying to do is repair and or stop desertification of grasslands and repair grasslands and but he's doing it on large what's called broad acre 
you know, things. We're talking, you know, anywhere between a handful to several hundred handfuls of hectares. And I think a hectare is like 2.3 acres or something like that. Um, so huge, like massive tracts of land. And what he was saying, what, what he was saying was that without ruminal animals upon the land, uh, you're going to get desertification even in wetter climates because reasons. And those reasons are good. But the first thing that I wanted to talk about, about what I found out about Alan in this TED Talk, is that uh, I'm not sure how he's going to be able to, I don't think he's ever going to have peace with himself as a human because of the actions that he caused to have happened due to his science, because he's a PhD, ecologist, or biologist, or possibly both. And when he was younger, he bought into the entire argument that that animals on land destroy land, bought it hook, line, and sinker. Just like economists of today are, are, are basted with Keynesian economics, and there's just no mention of any other type of system other than Keynesian and that debt is good and you and, and and debt will save us all when we all now know that this is not the truth. There's a whole other school of economic thought called Austrian economics. Well, we're seeing this kind of parallel here with a whole bunch of people that think animals are bad for the land and then the people that actually know better and Alan finds himself on straddling or not straddling that fence. He jumped over the fence from the stupid side to the bright side. <clears throat> so what happened with Alan is while he was, he'd done a study and this is years ago. Alan's like in his seventies, I think. <clears throat> and he had done a study uh, and published it. And you're talking peer reviewed, you know, ecological journal and submitted it to the, uh, I guess, you know, a few countries in Africa and those governments were very interested in, in essentially what it said was the destruction of the land by elephants um, and its uh, ongoing or its fu- the future impacts upon humanity and, and, and the population of countries in Africa. And the paper was well received and he was invited to come and work with uh, a couple of governments in uh, from African countries about the problem with the elephants. And I remember this in the 80s when I was a kid. I remember a bunch of reports talking about the damage that elephants do. And I wasn't old enough or or, um, savvy enough about what was going on in ecology to just end up doing anything but just nodding my head going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, I'll believe you, I'll believe you. And they would show what all the, all the damage that elephants do in, in, in India and in Africa. And it's just, it's BS. It's all BS. But what I fear for, um, for Alan is, is that he's going to have to go to his grave knowing the following. After getting together with governments, they decided that the only option was to, was to uh, cull the ele- elephant herds. So this report and his collaboration with early uh, career collaborations with governments in the in the African on the African continent resulted in the death of over forty thousand elephants. And he thought what he was doing was right. At the time, he really truly believed this was the right thing to do. I mean, we're talking about a you're talking about a PhD you know, level educated person. 
and their response is to kill it. Now, kind of go back <clears throat> or not go back, but um, we'll compare that to something that happened with the American chestnut tree. In uh, will it's almost impossible to even find pictures of of these things because the American chestnut tree was eradicated from the continent um, years and years and years ago in response to a blight that was brought over from China on the Chinese chestnut trees that were being imported. The, uh, much like the Native Americans, it just couldn't handle the uh, immuno- immunological stress that this blight that the Chinese chestnut carried with it but didn't affect it. It got into the American chestnut tree and just wreaked havoc. Okay, and, and the thing about the American chestnut tree is, is that when it masts or puts on nuts, it's like manna from heaven. Hundreds, actually probably more like thousands of pounds of nut meat, of chestnuts. And if you've ever had really good chestnuts, they're really, really good. You can do a lot of neat stuff with chestnuts, not just roast them on an open fire. I mean, they, they have a high oil content. They've got a really high protein content. They're rich in, in minerals. I mean, even like, you know, way back in the day in the United States, if you were like anywhere close to the Appalachians, anywhere, I think they said that a squirrel could go from Maine all the way down to Louisiana on this side of, or on, a, on the east side of the Mississippi and never touch a, the ground or a tree other than a chestnut, that they were that thick. It was just a blanket of chestnut trees. And they masted so much that people would be knee-deep in chestnuts, just raking them into bags. And that's what poor people ate. There was Food just fell from trees all the time. There was, there was no reason that anybody would starve. Well, then the blight comes, <clears throat> and that's not what destroyed the American chestnut tree. What destroyed the American chestnut tree was our reaction or our government's reaction to the blight of the American chestnut tree. For whatever reason, they decided that the best way to handle the blight of the American chestnut tree was to cut them all down. And that's what they did. And they were so effective at it. Go try to find an American chestnut tree. Do it. There's a couple, there's, there's a couple of groves, I think, in Washington State and there's a lot of people that are working on bringing back those genetics because some, only a couple survived. But man, you're talking about a genetic bottleneck. All right, so these we get this this situation where governments, you know, basically collude with science to do the exact thing that that makes it worse. And Alan Savory's condition of having to go to to the grave knowing that he murdered over forty thousand elephants. Um, is that in that you can tell in this talk, it's weighing on him pretty hard and I can't imagine how it couldn't. I really don't. The good news is he, in this talk, he gives definitive proof of stuff that I've talked about before, which is when you take animals and put them on land, they heal land. And once that land is healed, they nourish the land and the land nourishes them. It's like, I know it's a cycle of life. And then the whole Disney song goes on, but in either event, it's true. And what's interesting about this is that it's not just the, it's not just a bunch of both, like let's say ruminal bovine. 
it's not just having a whole bunch of them. If I have, let's say I have 500 longhorn steers on land and I put them, you know, out on, I don't know, let's say, let's say uh, four sections of land, which is four, like four square miles. And I just leave them out there. That's not going to help. Just because the animals are on land doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to do the magic that that animals can do because it's not just the animal. It's the animal's behavior. The animals have to pack together into a herd where basically they're where essentially they're shoulder to shoulder so that their hooves are really, really tight. And by the time that they, they can only eat a few amounts, you know, a few amount of grass, a, a few, you know, uh, mouthfuls of grass before they've crapped all over it and urinated all over it and no animal wants to eat that. So they move. Consequently, what happens is that only a partial amount of grass is eaten, a whole bunch of urine, which is nitrogen rich and a whole bunch of manure, which is, you know, grass that's been chewed and inoculated with uh, gut bacteria from the cows drops onto the ground, but it drops onto almost two thirds of the grass that's been trampled into the ground. So it armorizes the ground and protects it. Well, how do you get animals to pack in like that when you've got them on land? And there's the way that it was done in nature, predators. There are no, there are no more predators because we just shoot them. And I I get why I'm just saying that, the system breaks down because it's not just the animals on the land, and it's not just the fact not just get uh, not just the fact that they're in a herd. It's how do we get them in a herd? And the only way to get these animals in a herd is to have prey animals or uh, 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 predator animals on the outskirts, and that's what shoves them together. So it's not just those animals; it's a completely other set of animals that have to operate in concert for this shit to work. That's ecology in a nutshell. Systems have these edges. The edge of the herd is where the cull, basically the cull happens. But once the the culling happens and they bunch these things tighter together, it actually causes a huge lawnmower, a solar powered manuring lawnmower to come into effect across great swaths of land. And now from Alan's perspective, what he's saying is that this is the only way we turn climate around. I'm saying that, okay, I, I don't believe that we're all going to die in 12 years. I'm not, I'm not that sheeple, you know, I'm, I'm just not. <clears throat> but what I do see is this, on, this looming battle between ultra-liberals who want us to all be vegan or vegetarian and carnivores who are saying, look, don't shove your fake meat on, on us and by the way, look at your own agricultural practices and see how you're actually doing way more damage. Okay, so keep that in mind. I want I'm going to come back to this topic because um, I want to do more of this stuff. But if you haven't seen, I'll, I'll, I've got uh, Safe's um, tweet up in my morning roundup list, which is a curated my curated Twitter timeline, and you can get to that. There is a uh, link in the show notes for that. Um, so that you can go see the TED Talk. And if you don't want to waste the time, just type in Alan Savory, S-A-V-O-R-Y, I believe. 
and uh, TED Talk and Elephant, and you'll probably get to the same thing. And if you don't, go listen to what Alan has to say about some of these things. I've seen herds of chickens do more good for land than you know a whole herd a whole herd of cow because at least chickens yet they'll bunch together with just a fence. You can just put an electronet fence and just move the fence and move the chickens and do that every three days. And if you've got a really large herd of chickens, they'll do the same thing that a whole bunch of fourth that, you know, like a couple of thousand pound cows will do. They'll trample the grass and they'll manure all over it. And it will do the exact same damn thing. People do it all the time and they hit, that's how they build soil and it works. It works every single time. Anyway, so that's going to be all for the ecology lesson for today. Vitals, vitals, vitals. BitInfoCharts.com has Bitcoin at an average of 5,341. The low is going to be over at, it looks like Simex. Yep, Simex has got it at 5,284. And Bitfinex, as usual, is the high at 5,601. Whoop-dee-doo, almost 400,000 transactions have occurred over the last 24 hours, giving us 16,000 transactions on average per hour. 1.2 million BTC have been sent in that 24-hour period, giving us an average per hour of 51,000 BTC being sent. With an average transaction value of 3.07 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.06 BTC, which is right around 320 bucks, which is right where I like seeing it. Block time is low at nine minutes. It looks like we're getting about half a Bitcoin per block is being awarded as fees with a total number of uh, uh, with a total fee of 80.25 BTC over the last 24 hours. We've lost hash rate, amazingly enough. This is weird. I wonder if there was a difficulty change. <clears throat> anyway, uh, 47.75 exahashes, and we had a 6.85% drop in the last 24 hours. Last GitHub commit was yesterday, April the 30th. From left to right, Ethereum is at 160.5. Bcash is at 267.5. Litecoin is at 72.82. BSV is at 53 and change. Ethereum Classic is at almost six bucks. Dogecoin is at 0 0.0025. Dogecoin has 30,863 30, transactions, which is three times as much as BSV. But Bitcoin Cash is holding its own at 45,500 transactions over the last 24 hours. That will do it for your vital statistics. Right, Marty's Bents for yesterday, Tuesday, April the 30th, 2019, issue number 473. <coughs> Slowly but surely. Screenshot. The results highlight that Bitcoin is a demographic megatrend led by younger age groups. The only area where older demographics matched younger demographics was awareness. Regardless of age, the vast majority of the American population has heard of Bitcoin. Uncle Marty says Bitcoin creeps further and further into the psyche of the masses, spreading its roots throughout our discourse, our culture, and our industry one block at a time. 
The excerpt and chart you are looking at comes from this report published by Blockchain Capital early this morning, which highlights an apparent demographic megatrend developing in relation to Bitcoin awareness, favorability, and adoption. <clears throat> Granted, this is a small study of only 2,052 Americans, but it is a study nonetheless, and it confirms a theory we like to harp here on the bent. Useful youths will help lead this monetary revelation due to their natural disdain for the analog nature of the remnants of the pesky industrial age. So, of course, we're going to pump the shit out of it. <laughs> what is most interesting to note, in my opinion, is the different market conditions that existed when each set of questions was posed to the respondents. The first survey was conducted in the fall of 2017, before the bull market approached rip-your-face-off levels, and the most recent was conducted last week, in the depths of the bear market after an 80% price decline. Maybe surviving a crash like that with some authority is comforting for an inherently skeptical retail class. Maybe a portion of the respondents bought the dip and are trying to pump their bags. Or maybe the psycho psychological checkpoint of Bitcoin being around and working for a whole decade has convinced people that this thing may be here to stay, and this is a theory I am extremely partial towards. Bitcoin intuitiveness Bitcoin's intuitiveness, permissionless nature, and digital nativeness, when compared to the traditional system by younger millennial, millennials and Generation Z, may make its success as inevitable as the Internet's was in retrospect. Final thought, <clears throat> nothing like some Van Morrison on a cold, overcast morning. So, yeah, he's, I'm clearly talking about the uh, report that I was talking about yesterday. Um, it is, uh, the, the report is interesting. And I think, I, I think why I find it so interesting is that it's not one data point, it's two, you know, they did it like the, the fall of 2017 was the first one. And then spring of 2019 is the second one. And I mean, it's, it's just good news. It's the report is just good news. And yeah, it's just, it's a small sample set, but at at that level, you know, over two thousand, you know, participants. Hell, even medi even medications sometimes get released by the FDA with only three studies of five hundred people that are take you know taking the placebo and then taking you know or taking the drug. Uh, so you know, it's a, in my mind, trained in science. It's that's actually not a bad sample set. That's. I, that's getting, if it was like 10 people, it'd be like a Twitter poll, right? Nobody cares. We do them all the time, but still nobody really cares. Anyway, that's going to do it for Marty's bent. So today's song is Nanook rubs it from Frank Zappa. If you haven't ever listened to Frank Zappa, I, I I recommend it. I mean, at first glance, it's it seems like it's just silly music. You start peeling back the layers, and Frank Zappa and the Mothers, uh, no, every single person in in that group was some of the most serious musicians. Just because the words are kind of funny, you know, sometimes, and also there's, there's actually some great truth behind the, the lyrics in a lot of Zappa songs and some are just, some are just funny, but what's common to all Frank Zappa songs is the musicianship and you, re, you don't even have to really listen for it, but you do have to parse out the, the lyrics if they're making you giggle or you think it's silly 
just listen to how many time changes there are and listen to the mastership of these guys as they blow through riffs that are face ripping type things. Anyway, but Frank Zappa died years ago, <clears throat> but he had a discography. I think he's got like 50 albums. The guy was way prolific. And my favorite Frank Zappa album, which is where this, uh, where this song comes from is the apostrophe and overnight sensation double album. Uh, I was somehow or another, it's just, I found this album that was both, they were two separate albums and this one just happened to have them together. And I played that thing solid for like two years. Me and my friends did. It was like the background music of our lives <laughs> for a long time through getting high or playing video games and, drinking beer. I mean, you know, partying at one point or another, Frank Zappa was in the background along with a bunch of other stuff, but Frank was always there. And, uh, I found this while I was kind of doing a little bit of background stuff on the song. Um, uh, I came across this excerpt from an interview from, uh, somebody was interviewing Frank Zappa and I want to read it to you. It's not long. I, I heard you talking about UCLA. Did you go to college Zappa? No, I dropped out of junior college after one semester. <clears throat> so you're a self-educated man. But then everybody's a self-educated man. Zappa. It's almost like college was invented by Madison Avenue. So that after you've gone for a certain number of years and spent a certain amount of money on products, which they're helping to sell to you, you'll get a piece of paper that says you're educated. That's definitely where it's at. And all you have to do is teaching one of them to find that out. Nobody's interested in getting an education in college. They're simply interested in getting out. That might not be true at Harvard. There may be a few freaks around at the top schools who really want to learn something. But if you go out into the provinces like the University of Pittsburgh, forget it. Well, right about that time, people. A fur trapper who was strictly from commercial. Strictly commercial. Had the unmitigated audacity to jump up from behind my igloo. And he started in the whipping on my favorite baby seal with a lead-filled snowshoe. I said... With a lead, a lead filled snowshoe. He said peekaboo. With a lead, with a lead filled snowshoe. He said peekaboo. He went right upside the head of my favorite baby seal. He went whap with a lead filled snowshoe and he hit him on the nose and he hit him on the fin and he. That got me just about as evil as an Eskimo boy can be. So I bent down and I reached down and I scooped down and I gathered up a generous mitten full of the deadly. Yellow snow. The deadly yellow snow from right there where the huskies go. 
Whereupon I proceeded to take that mitten full of the deadly yellow snow crystals and rub it all into his beady little eyes with a vigorous circular motion hitherto unknown to the people in this area, but destined to take the place of the mud shark in your mythology. Here it goes now, the circular motion, rub it! again. Great googly moogly. I jumped up and down the chest of a... him of his sight and he stood up and he looked around and he said I can't see moment that he remembered an ancient Eskimo legend wherein it is written on whatever it is that they write it on up there that if anything bad ever happens to your eyes as a result of some sort of conflict with anyone named Nanook the only way you can get it fixed up is to go trudging across the tundra mile after mile trudging across the tundra right down to the parish of St. Alfonso. Daily Train Wreck is brought to you by a Twitter exchange, starting with Danny underscore Knight, saying, everything you like about your altcoin is unsubstantiated hype. Hashtag Bitcoin. Real Gaffis decides that he needs to write back and say, Power Ledger says you're wrong. Danny responds, okay, cool. Can I use Power Ledger now for its intended use? Binary Dreaming weighs in and says, let me answer on his behalf, no. Gaffis comes back to say, this is when you finally realize there's platforms other than BTC. And the train wreck continues. Binary Dreaming responds, I have. 
and quickly realized you, this meme, Power Ledger, and other platforms are all trash or blatant scams. Keep shilling, though, and enjoy those heavy bags. Gaffis comes back to say seriously, though, I guess the fact that it is currently commercially deployed in Thailand, USA, India, Australia, and others is irrelevant. You're right. It's a scam. Danny weighs in to say, elaborate on this to back it up. Name me one user in Australia as an example. There is no reply. That'll do it for yet another Daily Train Wrecked. Not much for Satoshi's treasure today. I wasn't going to do it until I ran across uh, this thing from Toshi Treasures. It says, God, well, this isn't the problem. All future keys on the site and in the wild will be signed with our PGP key. The fingerprint is, and then it's a string of letters and numbers. The one that kind of freaked me out, though, was this one. I didn't freak me out, but I'm I'm sort of kind of over it already, but verifying myself i am toshi treasure on keybase.io and then it gives the the uh the information about when you do that and i you know i'm getting to the point now where i'm like i don't even use keybase and after they went after proof of work and the whole we're all going to die in 12 years because quote unquote bitcoin mining i'm just so over keybase so I was kind of sad to see that Toshi's Treasure, you know, went ahead and did that. Maybe they'll use it in the way, you know, Keybase is intended, but really, I, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so we'll have to watch and see what happens with that. Terrible Joke Corner is interesting, a little bit more interesting today insofar that its form is a little bit different from Bad Joke Cat, but it is still from Bad Joke Cat. The midget fortune teller who kills his customers is a small medium at large. So I can totally appreciate that because the structure is structure of it's completely different than what you normally find in, in a bad joke. It, it's a... It is a bad joke. It's a terrible joke, but some thought goes behind. <clears throat> some thought goes behind this, right? A small, you know, because you're playing on small, medium, and large. You know, midget fortune teller kills his customers is a small, medium, at large. So it, it's kind of, I don't know. It's, 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 it, it. It's just a different structure of bad joke. And I, I think, you know, kind of like an analyzing joke structure is kind of important. Um, I don't know why, but again, I'm a big fan of really horrible jokes. If you have any horrible jokes that you want, like, you know, want me to talk about, I'm getting to the end of my fodder on bad joke cat. Uh, if you got a bad joke, send it to at B E N N D seven, seven on Twitter with, I don't know, hashtag terrible joke corner or bad joke for uh, Bitcoin and or something like that. Anyway, I'll, 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 you know, but send it, send it to at B-E-N-N-D-7-7 and I'll see if I can't get those, those things on the air because I, I, I think there's some really terrible jokes out there uh, in the community that really need to be uh, showcased. We'll do it here. 
All right, boys and girls, that's it for me. Um, not much to say. It's it's actually kind of boring out there, really. I mean, this this Bin- uh, Bitfinex thing is going to go down for a while. Chances are good, and I, I said this yesterday. We're not going to see the end of this for a while. I'd be I would be more surprised if this thing was cleared up and and forgotten about like within a week. I'd actually be more surprised. I don't think it's going to be that. I think it's going to be. I think more crap. I, I I get the feeling that there's more under the hood here than what we're seeing, and the reason I think that is because of that one, you know, those couple of stories where it makes it evident that there's all manner of things that loop back around to Binance or not Binance, sorry, not Binance, Bitfinex. Uh, if these loopbacks, these when these paths go out of of you know an entity and and go through other people and then yet some somehow or another come back into the original entity. That's when I start getting really suspicious. And I don't know if my suspicions are founded. It's just, it's one of those things that I, I can only chalk it up to gut feels, man. It's just gut feels. I've seen this kind of crap before outside of this industry, and it generally ends up being kind of crappy. Uh, take that with whatever grain of salt you want to take it with. Um, and uh, please do go check out Alan Savory and see what he has to say. If I got any like straight up vegans that think animals are killing the land, you you've got to you've got to do the due diligence <clears throat> of looking at what animals can do with the land because in a nutshell, grasslands co-developed with ruminal animals. You cannot take one part of the system away without the other system dying. And that's what's happening. We're getting desertification, probably not because of the burning of fossil fuels, probably not because uh, we're, you know, we, we drive cars. It's more likely that we've taken the animals off of the land and the way that they carbonize the land is not being, well, the land is no longer being carbonized. And every time we plow to plant a row of lettuce, more carbon goes up into the soil because when you expose the carbon in the soil to air, it kind of combusts. You don't see it. It's not a flame, but the chemical reaction of oxidation of CO2 or of, of carbon compounds to CO2, CO2 is there. The, the chemistry is present. It's just happening instead of in a fire pit or a barbecue over a few million or you know billion acres. Uh, that's how much land you know, we've got in, in production. Um, I'm not saying that I don't want you to eat lettuce and I don't want you to say that you don't want me to eat meat somewhere there. There's that the happy ground is in the middle. Animals belong on the land. So do humans. So does agriculture. But when you tip the scales to what we got going on, where there's no animals and all plowing, bad shit happens. We saw it in the dust bowl in the United States in the thirties it's probably going to happen again. And the only reason it hasn't happened yet is because we're so much more effective at keeping shit at bay right now, but something's going to break loose. It always does. It always has. It always will. You get shit out of balance. It's going to come back to haunt your ass in ways that you can't even possibly imagine. Put the animals back on the land and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.